Welcome to Inside the Writer's Head. In this podcast, you can expect conversations with writers and other lovers of books, journalism, libraries, and the literary arts. I am Paula Hansel, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2022 Writer in Residence. Today, I am pleased to talk with three Cincinnati residents with a passion for community stories and to tell you a little bit about my own story project, too. So let me introduce my guests. David Levy is co-founder and board member of True Theater, which has just kicked off his 13th season of bringing together a wide variety of people to share stories. True Theater uses live storytelling theater to create community, encourage discussion, and remind everyone that all of us have stories to tell. Dave is, among other things, an actor, sound designer, toastmaster, and storyteller whose love of stories goes back to his parents playing the songs of Harry Chapin on their car's old eight track. Welcome, David. Thanks, nice to be here, Pauletta. Glad you're here. Kiloni Parks is the manager of the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library's West End branch. Born and raised in Cincinnati, Kiloni studied fine arts before her career in libraries. She currently co-produces the West End Stories Project podcast, which aims to preserve the stories of individuals who lived or worked in Cincinnati's West End neighborhood as it transformed into what it is today. We want to hear it all, he has said about the project. We want to memorialize the West End community. Welcome, Key. Hi, thanks for having me. So glad you're here. And Alyssa Yancey is a journalist, educator, and nonprofit leader who has spent more than three decades listening to, writing about, and sharing people's stories. Alyssa is a memoirist as well, author of Grab Happy, The Serendipitous and Surprising Sides of Caregiving and Survival. She has co-founded two story-driven nonprofits, Wordplay Cincy, which we featured before, and A Picture's Worth, which we'll talk about today. A Picture's Worth is an audio storytelling platform using a visual information gathering tool for personal and community narratives. Welcome, Alyssa. Thank you so much, Pauletta. Great to be here. Glad you're here as well. And I am, as you know, Pauletta Hansel. And for this podcast, I will also share my Urban Appalachian Community Coalition Story Gathering Project a web-based story archive developed as both community outreach for the UACC and as a method for informally capturing the experiences of greater Cincinnati's urban Appalachian people. So we have a lot to talk about. And Key, let's start with you. I really love that the Cincinnati Hamilton County and Public Library has engaged in such a project. Though I wasn't raised here in Cincinnati, I know that the West End was a vibrant and thriving African-American community before a series of urban renewal projects in the 50s raised a good part of it. And of course, add to this a myriad of other forms of institutional racism, most recently gentrification, things get pretty complex. So talk to us about this project and how it got started and what you're doing now. Well, thank you. Um, So... Um, it got started kind of uh, towards the end of 2019. Um, it was supposed to be a video project, and that was before I um, started managing the West End branch. I worked at Maine and in Information and Reference Department, and we as a team were uh, trying to come together and, and start this um, 
this video project that was kind of loosely based off of the Veterans History Project, um, but also somewhat inspired by um, the Blacklist, which is a documentary um, program that profiles um, African Americans across various disciplines. Um, so we kind of were going for that look a little bit, um, but then the pandemic happened and um, um, we kind of had to pivot. Um, so we were like, oh, you know, it, you know, this, the pandemic especially is hard to reach um, an older population. Mm. Um, so we were like, what about, you know, we send them recording equipment and like, oh, that, you know, that might be a little hard. Or yeah. what if we tried Zoom? And then it's like, well, you know, the digital divide. Um, so we actually decided to uh, try phone calls. Huh. We experimented with various things to record them and actually settled upon Google Voice. And the um, reason we kind of was like, we got to figure something out is um, when I started working at the Western branch, was, which was at the beginning of 2020, we had a customer who heard about it and he would come back and he was like, when are you going to record my story? Yeah. And we were still trying to figure out the logistics of like the video part of it you know like where are we going to go to certain branches you know how are we going to get the word out etc but he remembered and um, we closed down he called the library and the library put him in contact with me and it's like okay well you know we gotta we gotta figure this out and um and he was actually our, our first episode. Um, so cool. it really got started. My, my dad grew up in um, the neighborhood. I work at the branch that he visited when he was a child, him and his brothers and, and his sister. Um, and we were also um, inspired by um, the unfortunate uh, loss of John uh, Harshaw, who wrote um, a book about the West End, and, uh, his, you know, it's like, it's considered the history book mm -hmm. on the West End. And, um, he we I was trying to work with him um at the time to get him to speak at the the mercantile um and I have like one communication from him and then he passed away uh, shortly after yeah. and then also at the same time the FC stadium was getting ready to open which of course we knew um was going to bring changes to the neighborhood so all these things were happening and it just seemed like the the right time like my mom's hairdresser um her her building um it's like no longer there partly because of the construction of the the stadium so all these things uh, was one of the reasons uh, were reasons why um we started the western storage project when we did yeah and such a wonderful thing for the library to be doing as part of of preserving the community that it's a part of is, is do you want to say anything about about sort of recent uh recent episodes or any any future episodes before we move on and hear from others um so we're on our um we're finishing up our second season mm -hmm. um so um we so our 20th episode actually comes out this yeah. thursday and um our 20th episode will actually feature my father um david parks um it's also like our first episode actually recording live um so um we are using a Zoom recorder, which I had never used before. Um, so um, we were experimenting with that because I do have customers who come in and phone just doesn't really work for them. They yeah. want to speak in person. And then also like, of course, phone has barriers too. Like it right. can go in and out. Some phone quality is better than others. You know, it's a great tool to have. Yeah. Um, 
but especially for certain people. But some folks, we see them every day and it's much better to sit them down. So I'm yeah. really happy that we have that tool now. So his episode was the first time experimenting with that technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and also like the first family member, I also went yeah. for an uncle as well, who spent more time in the West yeah. End because he's a little older. Um, so that's going to be our 20th episode. And then that's going to wrap up um, our second um, season. I hope uh, I need, so I kind of got overwhelmed by the amount of calls we got. Mm-hmm. Um, and we only have so much time to produce it. And also, you know, I do branch manager stuff. Uh, right. So we only produce one episode a month. I had a backlog. So uh-huh. a lot of the episodes that came out this year were recorded last year, got like it. last March yeah. um, through like May or whatever. So um, now I I, <laughs> I need more. <laughs> so I have like a list of folks I need to contact <laughs> and I think I can plan out the whole right. next season. So and That's I have other right. stuff I got to get done too. Like there's a digital uh, preservation side of it too, um, like record. Um, you know, scanning photographs, documents, and other things like that. And that takes time to follow up and contact folks. So yeah, Yeah. shut up now. (laughs) No, that's great. And, and hopefully uh, you'll get a few, a few calls from this, uh, from this podcast as well. I would certainly hope that we can help to encourage uh, folks to be in touch with you about this. So let's move on uh, to Alyssa Yancey of A Picture's Worth. And a thousand words, of course, is what finishes that phrase. A picture's worth a thousand words. But you guys are also a podcast. So how do you incorporate pictures? And tell us, too, about how your project got started and also maybe a little bit about its focus on training and support toward, and I'm quoting now from your website, holistic, responsible interviewing and story creation. And you might want to say a thing or two about your recent link collaboration, too. So uh, let's hear from you, Alyssa. Yeah, thank you. It's a really exciting time to be involved with story. And I just appreciate being in this conversation so much with Dave and Kilani and hearing about these other initiatives. So A Picture's Worth started probably 2015, 2016. Um, My background is as a journalist and as an educator. And for a long time, um, I had grown really frustrated by traditional media narratives that are very narrow and focused on surface and focused a lot on uh, the worst days of people's lives. And I'm really convinced, and I think you ask anyone, no one wants to be defined by their worst day. And I think without being really intentional in our media consumption and production, it's very easy to fall into this trap of thinking only in terms of trauma and only in terms of pain. And so what a picture's worth does is it allows people to frame their own narratives. And that's why we use photographs. Photographs are in personal photographs um, that people provide based on a theme. So we ask someone to show us a photograph. I'll use our Blink installation as an example of what brings light to their lives. 
and we for this particular project it is exactly like what we always wanted pictures worth to be we trained community story gatherers folks from by and within community organizations in lower price hill and we worked with the anna louise inn so with her cincinnati and with transform cincy to really be embedded with trusted community members um i think another problem with journalism is we sort of have this reputation for parachuting in and not really being a part of community and yet acting as if we can report on them um, in any way, shape or form that is holistic and accurate. So we really focused on training people in community to talk to their neighbors. Um, we had two story gathering sessions in lower, one in Lower Price Hill where 40 people showed up wow. in three hours with photographs of what lights up their lives. And at Anna Louise Inn, we had two hours and 30 women there showed up and had amazing stories of strength and resilience and light that quite frankly blew me away. I They are five minute interviews. We've honed our process down. So we um, help people focus on a photo they brought in and, and really explain why it matters to them. And then um, we edit a short bit of that audio and put it underneath the photograph. You can either listen to them talking without seeing the photo, or you can look at the photo and listen to the person explaining it. So for us, it's really how we use the practice of journalism. We incorporate research, we incorporate neuroscience about how people come to understand the world and how people come to relate to one another, to give people actionable tools to focus their stories on what they think is important and give more fuller, um, more fuller narratives about who they are, what's important to them. And what we find over and over again is how much our communities are connected and in ways that across divides that, you know, seem really artificial when you start to look at what really matters in our communities. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Alyssa. And I look forward to, to talking to you more about it as well. But let's, uh, let's turn for a moment to David Levy of True Theater. And so Dave, your work, unlike the rest of us is live. I mean, I guess we're all live to a certain degree and that we're we're speaking to people to live live people speaking to live people, but it's it's it is is theater that people watch as it unfolds. Uh, and even in person again now that theaters have reopened. Mm -hmm. So you've been involved, I know, in so many theater events over the years. So why true stories, uh, these intimate first person accounts? And how did you get started? And tell us what an evening with true theater is all about. Oh, thanks, Pauletta. You mentioned in my introduction about listening to the music of Harry Chapin in my parents' car. I, I still have these memories of driving and listening to the music and I would get home and I'm still like, I'm not done listening to the music. So I, I want to go inside the house and I, I put on an album to listen to more. For those of you who don't know, he's a folk singer and all of his songs, almost all of them, tell these beautiful stories. And I just was so fond of them. And over the course of my life, I can remember very specific moments of being exposed to storytelling and being so enamored by it. This guy I saw in college who told these animal stories, folk tales that I'd never heard before. Uh, someone once introduced me to this movie by Spalding Gray called Monster in a Box, which even though it's a movie is just him telling the story about writing this book and trying to sell it. And I was just so engrossed. So when I first heard of the existence of this organization that blossomed out of New York City called The Moth, 
which I credit with repopularizing true personal storytelling in the modern era. It's like all of the things that I'd ever thought about storytelling coalesced at once and I my head exploded and all I knew was I wanted to do this. And that's even when I joined Toastmasters, because I, even though I had a fear of public speaking, I wanted to get over that in order to figure out how to become a storyteller myself. And I figured at least Toastmasters might be able to teach it to me, but also might at least give me the stage on which to practice. It wasn't too long after that, that I was talking to my friend Jeff Grow about the moth and how excited I was by it. And he was really excited about it too. He had heard of it. And one day he approached me about starting a show of our own. We had kind of talked about it once, but he had actually spoken with somebody at the No Theater of Cincinnati. Eric Fossmeyer was the artistic director at the time. And they were starting up this thing where they were having outside people do stuff in their underground space, it's called. And so we, it just sort of worked out. And what was really cool is we were thinking like we were going to do a show. And Eric said, don't do a show, do a season. And because we took his advice and because of that, we came up with a name, we came up with a logo, we came up with a website. And the next thing you know, we exist. It, if, I'm sure if we had just done one show, we would have gotten a lot out of it. And then we keep talking about doing another show one day, you know, but by committing to a season, it it just sort of forced our hand and made us do it. Yeah. I So I've always been in love with storytelling when I found about the about the true personal storytelling it just seemed like it was what i wanted to go into and when we finally got to do it it was like a manifestation of everything we believed about storytelling so we wrote the mission statement which was mm -hmm. to build community through sharing of personal stories mm -hmm. words to that effect and then there we are at the show we see people tell the story we see the people listen to the stories and afterwards, we see the people who are listening go up to the people who are telling and start sharing their own stories. Yeah. And bing, bang, boom, like there's the community. Yeah. So we knew we were onto something. And 13 years later, we're about to kick off our uh, 13th season. So it's, it's just been a great ride. That's great. That, that's, that's a wonderful inspirational story about how you know you can take something that you you love and manifest it uh mm -hmm. have it have it happen in your own city so that's great yeah thanks thanks david and you know and i'll just finally i'll just say a little bit about uh my project the urban appalachian uh, story gathering project it's it's definitely the baby of the bunch um we got started in the fall of 2021 so about just about a year ago uh, as part of the Urban Appalachian Community Coalition's efforts to showcase the strength and diversity of urban Appalachians in Cincinnati, uh, so people who themselves have migrated here from the Appalachian region, or more often, uh, whose families have migrated from the Appalachian region, uh, some as long ago as the World War II era, and others as recently as, as this year. Uh, and we have currently about 45 interviews posted on our website, ranging from teens to seniors, from migrants to those who, you know, maybe didn't even meet their Appalachian great-grandparents, uh, from people who self-identify as Appalachian researchers or activists or artists to those who've never really thought that they could be African-American. Uh, 
and Appalachian, you know, or that they could live in Cincinnati but have these uh, have these Appalachian roots. Um, and since this is a library podcast, I'll also just say there are two interviews with Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library folks with Appalachian roots, including Stacy Dennison, who's our foundation director, and then Chris Smith from our genealogy department are up there as well. And those are, those are are two of my two of my many favorites. I don't know about the the rest of you, but when I whenever anybody asks what my favorite story is, it's, it's oftentimes the one I just did, <laughs> you know, the interview that I just did because uh, it's so much in my in my heart and mind. So why don't we why don't we start with that? If if you all would be willing and whichever order you would like to to uh, talk about what some of your favorite stories from these projects might have been. Um, and you know what? Maybe what's what has surprised you about those? When well, I see that Alyssa has unmuted, so we're going to let her go first. No, <laughs> I, and, I I'll, and I'll say to the audience at home that I get to see these beautiful people. You don't, <laughs> but I hope you. I hope you see them in person someday. <laughs> I thought, Paulette, you were going to mention how you interviewed me for the story project. Oh, I was yeah. your favorite interview. Well, of course, you're my, now that you mentioned it, of course, you're my favorite. Cough, 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 cough. <laughs> anyway, but, so I wanted to share a story from um, Lower Price Hill. It's one of the ones we showcased in Blink. Um, actually, it isn't from Lower Price Hill. What am I saying? It's from the Anna Louise Inn. I remember where Loretta's from. Uh, <sighs> It's, and it surprised me so much because, you know, we're in a room and I'm not doing the interviews, but I'm signing people in, looking at their photos, making sure that it's something that could reproduce, making sure we sign release forms, doing the sort of like administrative piece. And it was an older woman who was very nervous. A lot of people are nervous about sharing their story. Uh, but then when I heard her story later, it was a photograph and I and it had a bunch of children in it. And so I was immediately concerned because of rights of using photographs with children and wanted to be sure that we had um, permission from the parents of those of that of those boys to, to use the photo. And that led to the conversation with her checking in with her daughter. These were her grandchildren and her daughter, um, me seeing the text message her daughter sent back to say, absolutely, we would love for you to use that photo. And the story of Loretta is that she um, had been an addict for a very long time. Uh, she talked about being five years old and having her father put alcohol in her sippy cup and having struggled off and on with addiction um, and been in recovery when she had her own children. And then when her husband died, she uh, relapsed and that all of her children who are now grown had disowned her. This particular daughter had disowned her and, um, and had gone on to have five, four, four sons. Um, and the week before we visited to collect this, the stories there, um, the daughter had reached out to say, to text her to say, you know, are you clean? And she said she was. And then she got her 
counselor's approval to go visit her daughter's home. And it was the first time she'd seen these four grandsons. And they are seriously, it's a picture of her on a couch. And it looks like the children are appendages. They're on her lap, they're on her shoulder, one's on top of her head and the other side. And she's <laughs> talking about how um, they didn't leave her the whole four hours she was there and yeah. just the joy and the her understanding of her daughter's forgiveness and how she wants she says she wants to live now because she wants her grandchildren to be proud of her and she wants her daughter to be proud of her and um it's just such a powerful narrative um all encapsulated in that single frame yeah and i remember standing watching it projected right next to old saint mary's church on this giant brick wall on main street during blink and you could just hear, you know, we had a, maybe 30 seconds of her pieces of that story. And someone who was in the parking lot with me said, you know, I'm really surprised to see this older woman, a grandma talking about being in recovery and facing addiction. That's not a picture of addiction that I'm used to seeing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's such a, a powerful tool in just that frame yeah. that says so much more than just about this one woman and and then knowing so many more details that the people passing by would never know just made it feel so much more um, meaningful to know that they were able to connect with this person in a way that otherwise they never would have so that yeah. to me is is the beauty of of then now having it on a website in perpetuity. Yeah, yeah, that's great, Alyssa. Thanks for telling that story. Uh, Key and, and Dave, some of your favorites, either either of you, feel free to pop in. You know, I. it's so hard to say favorites. Yeah, that's I'll probably never, not a fair question. Right, but. I know, right? <laughs> but I'll know I'll never forget that experience of sitting in the audience when the very first story at the very first show was being told and I'm looking around the audience to try to gauge whether this is the right thing, whether we're doing it right. And because we had a last minute shuffling of the people in the order of the show, I, we had a very heavy story first. And so I was also a little scared that it was going to be too much, that it was setting a tone where people were going to be like, oh my God, are they all going to be this heavy? I won't be able to take it. Uh, but the people were really responsive and it was just such an uplifting moment for me. But another another thing that does kind of come to mind, some of my favorites, I'll say, one category of my favorites are the people that don't have a lot of this sort of experience of public speaking, yeah. who almost can't believe that anybody would be interested in, in what they have to say. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a gentleman one time named Obi we had seen an article, Jeff spotted it in the newspaper, this little fluff piece about him going to jail because he kind of chose to. He had been pulled over for like a broken taillight. He'd never had anything, you know, but he's this retired public school teacher. He's pulled over for this headlock and they want him to show up in court for it. Now there's these court costs and, and he's no, he's not, he's not paying them. He, um, they said, well, if you don't pay, you're, you're going to go to jail. That's it. I'm going to go to jail. And so they come around. They say, well, hold on a second. You know, you're an older man. You're a public school teacher. We don't want to, you know, how about this? We uh, will we'll just throw out the ticket. You'll pay the court cost and we'll just call it a day. He said, nope, going to jail. So 
goes to jail for the weekend. Monday morning, he gets out and he calls his daughter. Hey, can you come pick? I'm at the jail. And um, and I, she thought, like, you're in jail? What the heck? And so suddenly this becomes the newspaper piece. I think she called, you know, and we tracked this guy down. And so uh, we asked him if he'd tell this story for one of our uh, shows. And honestly, we, we have a theme for every show and it could have been the crime theme, but I honestly don't remember. It, it could fit into a number of things, I suppose. But um, we would meet, we would meet with our storytellers and we sort of practice the stories. And I just remember sitting in this guy's kitchen one time and we're, he's practicing the story. And like, just in the middle of it, he stops and he says, are you sure people want to hear this? And I said, Obi, it's going to be incredible. And I got to tell you, when he got up on stage, he he knew he how to work that audience. He could tell right away that they loved him and he worked them. And he, he just had such a good time telling his story about this thing that he did. Um, and uh, it, like, it's just one of those moments I'll never forget. Yeah. I, I just I just love those folks who just just don't have experience with this who are uh -huh. doing it and sort of discover something yeah. Along the way. yeah 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 finding those hidden stories in a way that uh, people might never be able to hear otherwise mm -hmm. how about you key do you have any favorites or any categories of favorites uh, i probably have several of course like the funny ones are are always great there's a lot of funny ones but then there are some that are kind of like to me like real mysteries mm -hmm. um, that are really interesting that maybe require like uh, more digging into um, or like maybe even sometimes like um, possible like justice when <laughs> that you know like um, people who you know passed away many years ago or um, and no one really speaks of them you know mm -hmm. or um, just like or things that happened in the city <laughs> you know yeah. or and you know maybe there's a, a little bit of something in the newspaper um like i think i really like those because i could you know possibly uh, dig into them I, I would say like ralph moon's episode has that um or no it gets malcolm allen's episode has that um when it comes to like the two brothers um that was a pretty tragic um, story, but I, you know, I did not know about them. And yeah. they, um, you know, preceded a lot of other events that happened in the sixth in the in the city, uh -huh. and then um, Donald Coson's um, discussion of it, his brother, um, and um, how again, you know, how that still hasn't really been disputed, or there hasn't really been any um, justice. Mm -hmm. Sorry about our phone. It's okay. <laughs> when it comes to um, the death of his brother. Um, so like those types of things. And I think for that particular episode, it just um, made me feel really good to find that evidence of existence. Mm -hmm. um, so finding um, his name in the Taff yearbook and finding an image of him in the Taff yeah. yearbook. Like, um, I'm like, I just I have to find this. I yeah. have to find this, this evidence um, that this person existed um so those are things where it's like if i had more time yeah um, i really um dig into those types of, of stories yeah and it i mean it, and it what i'm hearing from you too it sounds like these are uh, 
these are opportunities to kind of bring so many different aspects of the library services into play to bring these stories into the world as well. So finding, you know, get dig, digging into the databases and what books you have and all of that. And, you know, and I would, I'll think, I guess I'll say for myself that some of the favorite interviews that I've either watched or done uh, for the Urban Appalachian Story Gathering Project are the intergenerational ones because there has been the opportunity to interview not just a single person, although yours, of course, was wonderful, Alyssa, but to, 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 not just to interview a single person, but to interview, you know, a, a family unit. There's one that I did with the mother, mother, father, and adult child um, who was hearing some stories for the first time, you know, and finding out more about her parents' lives for the first time. And so that was really kind of an opportunity for me to experience what I might not otherwise get to, you know, someone's watching a story or listening to a story, ours are our video as well as, as audio, uh, and we'll find something out, you know, but I won't be there to sit there and wa watch it with them. But in this case, it was actually being able to see it unfold in front of me. And there's been other ones where, um, Children uh, have, you know, teenage or adult children have have interviewed their parents, their grandparents. So just watching those those kind of interactions unfold has been some of my favorites uh, in 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 my project. Um, so we have some more time, and I would like to dig into these uh, these a little bit more. And I guess. The question that that I feel like we're we're answering to a certain degree by saying, in a way, what we take home from these projects uh, or these these stories. Um, what do you hope that other people who are interacting, either as storytellers or story listeners, what are you hoping that uh, that that they take with them from from their interaction with the stories that you get to to help facilitate? You know, from the true theater perspective, we always start our shows by letting our audience know our philosophy is that the sharing of a true story knocks down walls and builds bridges, turns strangers into friends. This is something I say at the top of every show in one form or another. And even though I sort of repeat it show after show, I mean, these are words I really mean. Mm -hmm. Any story that's told on the stage may have like a, a, a meaning that the storyteller feels is, you know, is the reason why they're telling that story. But somebody else may walk away with a different meaning because it speaks to them on a particular level. One or I mean, I see this happen all the time. Some tellers will finish the story by saying, so what does this mean? You know, and they'll they'll sort of ex explain what it means. And then you so you could give that to somebody. But a lot of times if you don't, they'll derive whatever meaning they want from it. They may yeah. learn a lesson. They may just enjoy the story. So there's a lot of things people could leave with that night. But one thing I really want them to leave with from one of these shows is that it's not necessarily about the theme that we chose for the evening. That's sort of just like a gimmick to kind of give people some, you know, motive kick in the butt to think of what stories that they might have in their life that they could share. It's really this idea that we all have stories and that if we share ours, others will share theirs and community and 
guess kindness, you know, is the result. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. How about you, Key? I was thinking about this. Um, of course, I'm thinking about like what I like about it because I'm. I feel like I'm always learning from, um, you know, interviewing um, the participants. Um, but I do feel like what they're discussing kind of gives some clues as to like what makes a community work and function. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the changes that happened to the West End kind of, not kind of, definitely disrupted um, those systems. Um, a lot of people, um, these institutions, whether it be, you know, churches or organizations, of course, the people, they got dispersed throughout, you know, the city, where mm -hmm. at one point in time, they were concentrated. And, and some of that was good, and some of that's bad. Um, but, you know, but the communities need all these different institutions to, to function properly, especially for youth. Um, so I guess it, it, you know, there, there was such a like, it was very diverse economically as well in the mm -hmm. and neighborhood and people saw um, people they knew in all these different roles mm -hmm. in the community, right. you know, and that's something that's definitely um, missing now from the West End and not just the West End, but, but other neighborhoods as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess um, I kind of want people to kind of hear about like, what are the ingredients for making a, a, a recreating, which, you know, yeah. you can't necessarily, um, but we can try um, yeah. to make more functional neighborhoods um, that can function for everyone. Yeah. Um, so um, I think that the Western Stories project definitely um, discusses those things mm -hmm. and what, you know, why folks, yeah, I mean, it wasn't perfect, you know, but um, a lot of times the, the kids especially seem so happy <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. uh, because they were, there were all these, these kind of systems in, in place. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Key. And Alyssa? Yeah. So I think, I think what's so powerful in all of these efforts and what I see so clearly in a picture's worth is just the fact that we pay so little attention, I think, to our shared humanity and how the stories that that can help us understand one another are not that far away from us. Mm -hmm. So providing opportunities for people who, you know, don't feel heard, don't feel seen in mm -hmm. headlines, don't feel represented in media and to go to them as opposed to have to make them do the work <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to show up at a certain wherever, right? What, what we do is really so anchored in community that it is, I think that's where, that's where the understanding can happen. And I think also, you know, there's a TED talk that I used to use when I was a teacher, the danger of a single story. I was just trying to look mm -hmm. it up because it's Chimamanda Adichie. Um, and it's just so powerful in that if you don't see yourself represented in history and not just as 
um, someone who's been traumatized, but mm-hmm. it's someone who has joy, someone yeah. who has love, someone who has light, someone who's a whole person. If you don't see that represented, then you don't see that around you, mm-hmm. right? And I think that is what I hope, especially with projects like A Picture's Worth of Light, to understand the joy and the humanity and the and the strength and the community power Mm-hmm. that we don't give credit to in a, on a daily basis, but that is all around us. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I, th- I think for me, and it's, I, I hear a little bit of this too, and, and all of what each of you are saying, for me, the power of story, whether it is oral storytelling or written storytelling, <laughs> is that we find ourselves there. Um, to a certain degree, and it it may be finding ourselves in the most unexpected place, you know, by cutting through a stereotype of of who we thought a person or or a community or an addict uh, or someone who spent the night in jail, you know, may be, and finding ourselves in that in that person that we might have otherwise othered, you know, that's some of it, and sometimes it's finding ourselves in, because there is a direct parallel in our, in our stories, in our community, you know, someone in Lower Price Hill seeing what may have happened, you know, what had happened in the West End as being similar to their own, own circumstance, for example, or someone from the West End seeing themselves, you know, in these West End stories, Uh, so I, I just really applaud all of, all of you, each of you, and, and what you're, what you're doing, and, and certainly hope that our listeners will will take a look um, at your uh, take a look and a listen uh, to your projects. And so, how can you know how can they do that? That's that's a, a one question I want to say both both how can how can folks get involved? Uh, but even if they're not quite sure if they want to tell a story themselves, or maybe your project isn't you know uh, directly related to their stories, how can they listen? And and Key, why don't you start? Uh, with that? How can folks connect either as listeners or storytellers uh, with the West End Story Project? Um, well, they can listen wherever podcasts are available to the West End Stories Project. Uh, we also usually um, try to produce um, a blog post that has like episode notes related to um, some of the things that are mentioned in the episode that often connect back to the collection mm-hmm. um, or um, other things. Um, in Usually there's that's linked in the episode, but that's available through our website. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they are interested in participating, of course, they can stop by the branch. Um, they can call the branch or just call the our regular uh, 369-6900 number. Um, they can also shoot us an email. Um, most people know to, to guide them uh, to us um, mm-hmm. if they're interested in recording their story or if they're like, I think this person should be uh, recorded. Um, we can try and uh, figure that out as well. Great, great. And and just to let folks know, so you're not like trying to write down these phone numbers or websites, if people give them, we will uh, we will list these as as in our in the blog post that uh, that accompanies uh, this podcast as well. So Dave, how about, how about you? Uh, how, how can folks uh, tell a true story or watch a true story? That's great. That's actually the two things we look for in every show, people to tell them and then people to come listen. Mm-hmm. And if you're one of those people who needs to 
be inspired before you dare get up and speak, then you're going to want to be in the audience first. Tickets are for all our shows uh, can be found at the Memorial Hall website where we produce our shows, but links to them are, of course, available on our website at truetheater.org. And of course, we spell theater the fancy way, ending in R-E, <laughs> truetheater.org. And there's also a page on there with a link called share your story. And if you click on that, there's a form you could fill out. And if you want to submit a story idea for a show that's in our season coming up, and there's also a box you could check for if you just got a story that we need to hear. We have put a theme into a season when we've known that we've got this great story, we've got to get out there. Yeah. So we love collecting stories and we work with people to help them prepare them so that it's not they're not just kind of on their own to do it. We provide feedback and sounding boards and we really help them to shape their stories so that they're happy with them for sharing on our stage. That's great. And and we will, of course, link to your website, but uh, do you have dates for 2023 you'd like to tell people about off the top of your head or should yes. we just, just link? <laughs> sure thing. Uh, the remaining three episode shows of the 13th season are the last Thursday of January, April, and July. That's right. Thursday, January 26th, where the theme of the evening will be friends. So if you have a story where like friends or friendship is, is like, oh, I yes, I know something right away, then we got to hear from you. April 27th, last Thursday of April, the theme is home. Mm -hmm. Home. We call it true home. True yeah. friend, true home. And on July 27th, to finish out our season, true gift. Great. The theme is gifts, giving. That's great. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. And Alyssa, how about uh, a picture's worth? What's up next for you guys and how can people connect either with what you've already done or with future programs? Yeah, I think our website is the best way to find us, apicturesworth.org. Um, we have several collaborations with communities that we're working on now, as well as celebrations in the neighborhoods where we were fortunate enough to be gifted the stories of neighbors. Um, and yeah, we have a newsletter that goes out and we are actively seeking opportunities to train folks in our methodology, as well as to add to our Strong Stories network. So um, love to hear from folks and love to hear feedback. We have a video of our Blink installation up as well as all 70 stories wow. you shared with us um, over the past few months. That's great. Thanks, Alyssa. Thank you. And thanks to all of you. And we are coming now to the final question that I like to ask all my guests. And since we are a library, what in the world are you reading? And whoever would like to start with that, uh, feel free to do so. And know that, and listeners know that we will list these on our our uh, our blog post as well. Might as well go first. All right. <laughs> I I tell you, I had fallen out of the habit of reading for a long time. I would say I'm I love reading, but for many years you wouldn't know it to know me. During the pandemic, I made it a point to start again and now i try to keep one nonfiction book and one fiction book going at the same time and so right now i'm actually going through for the second time unbreakable runner by tj murphy and brian mckenzie it's using endurance fitness to improve your mm -hmm. running endurance versus just logging more miles is sort of the theory behind it and now i've just 
told you enough, you probably don't have to read it. <laughs> but I'm getting a lot out of it. Oh. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm course, sure there's always a little more in the book, yeah. right? <laughs> no doubt. No but doubt. you are a good storyteller. <laughs> Thanks. And on the fiction side of things, I'm in the uh, fourth book in the seven book series of Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Right. Yeah, I think it's called Wizard and Glass. Right. Thanks, yes. Dave. Mm -hmm. How about you, Alyssa? What are you reading? Well, there's this great collection of poetry called Heartbreak Tree that I just can't seem to put down. Uh, it's a really lovely collection. I'm just, I'm just, you may know the author. Thank you, He's Alyssa. Podcast. Uh -huh. No, it, it really, and I'm not just saying that. It actually is right by my bed. So I have a hard time reading um, fiction. So I love poetry and I love narrative nonfiction. So I also always have All About Love by Bell Hooks um, just to pick up and read and be inspired and be encouraged to think in different ways about the world um, and and just, I love those kinds of opportunities to be transported and to be uh, <laughs> through nonfiction, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. through poetry into places that um, kind of disrupt the, the news feeds of our days. So yeah. thanks for asking that question. Thank you. And Key, there at the library, I see all those books around you. What are you reading? <laughs> I could definitely be a better reader. <laughs> I love books, of course, and often have them around and have them checked out. Um, but I often am, am skimming. Um, but it, they're always around, of course. Yeah. Um, I would say one I've had open and gone uh, back to a couple of times after I saw her on uh, the Today Show, which I find out a lot of books about a lot of books on the Today Show cool. on my way to work, um, is um, Speak. Find Your Voice, Trust Your Gut, and Get From Where You Are to Where You Want to Be by Tunde Oyen. Oyen, Yen. I apologize. I'm probably butchering her name. I don't mean to. Um, but um, I'm enjoying it. Um, just kind of, um, I don't know. So just trying to, how do you kind of follow your passion? Yeah. Um, and sometimes that's a little difficult um, based on circumstances. Um, but um, I'm hoping that the book will give some keys to that because she kind of shifted from being a, a makeup artist to then being a Peloton instructor. Um, so <laughs> it's very, very interesting. Um, and yeah. it kind of talks about her journey um, yeah. to that. So, Oh, that's cool. Thank you. Thanks for telling us about that. And I'm reading Kate Atkinson's new book which has gaiety in the title. I can't remember the whole, the whole name of it. How, how about that? And it's in the other room, but I will be sure to list it on the website. And hopefully by the time you listen to this podcast, uh, I will have returned it to the library so that you could check it out yourself. <laughs> so far, I'm really enjoying it. So friends, that's it for this, my very last episode of Inside the Writer's Head. I hope you've enjoyed listening half as much as I've enjoyed hosting. This podcast will continue in 2023 with a brand new host, our new Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library writer-in-residence. So keep joining us for in-depth conversations with writers and other lovers of books, journalism, libraries, and the literary arts. Thanks for listening. Thanks.